Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is brought to us by Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports the community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. In June, Libro FM is launching their Kids Club and YA Club, which will offer select audiobooks priced under $10 each month, as well as their summer listening challenge. Each person to finish will get free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete the challenge extra credit. Listeners of this podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. So go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 56, and we're recording on June 14th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Today, we're talking about a few of the science fiction and fantasy punk genres. And it feels like it's been ages since we recorded together. (laughs) We have been out and about quite a bit. Uh, Yeah. It has been a minute. It has been. It's also been a minute since we talked about punk genres yes we did we did a steampunk show way back in episode 22 uh, which has yeah like i don't even know how long ago that was a million years as far as i'm concerned thousand years ago (laughs) (laughs) yeah but we decided there's so many nowadays and some people would argue that they're not real but i think they're interesting i don't know about you i do too and it was fun to explore i feel like sometimes new ones pop up which is interesting and fantastic i mean there are lots of like big umbrellas and then tiny things like Mm -hmm. sub genres underneath that you know you can you can take them or leave them you know a lot of people just read the books they like without even (laughs) considering what sub genre or whatever it falls into like how many people actually care but I think it is fun. And I think it was fun to explore and to think about which ones I wanted to choose and what types of books I have accidentally read under those subgenres. Yes, extremely same. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about yours. And um, I'm really excited to talk about mine. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, before we do that or get into our news, I should tell y'all about our sponsor, which is Reentry by Peter Codron. It's published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And this is actually a sequel to Retrograde, which you might have heard of. It was an indie phenom. And this is hard sci-fi. So if you are a fan of Philip K. Dick or Andy Weir, authors like that, Arthur C. Clarke, this is maybe going to be interesting to you. Also, this feels very timely to me because I'm so obsessed with the new Terminator movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and this is very Skynet adjacent. So the novel, Reentry, applies realistic technology to examine not just interstellar exploration, but also the potentially dangerous potential of artificial intelligence. So this, our heroine from Retrograde Returns, astronaut Liz Anderson, uh, has almost died on Mars, and now she's returned to Earth, but not to a hero's welcome because America is in turmoil. There was a war, it's over now, but the insurgency has just begun. So she is finding herself the object of lots of suspicion and then gets caught up in a guerrilla war being waged on Earth and is wondering if the AI threat is truly gone or if it has only just begun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it's really interesting to think about, right? AI can do so much good for us. It could also do so much bad, as is more commonly represented in science fiction. <laughs> and so this is an interesting look at what could happen. And Codron, uh, as an author likes to talk to different engineers and scientists across disciplines while crafting his novels. So he like does topics from aerospace and astrophysics to evolutionary biology and zoology, reaches, researches all that, talks to scientists and engineers working in those fields, and then draws on it in his books. So this book is rooted in modern science and technology, but of course, like most science fiction, takes it a few steps further. So if that sounds interesting to you, you should check it out. It's Reentry by Peter Codron, published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's time for news. Yes. And because I'm a Terry Pratchett stan, <laughs> that is how I'm going to lead us today. <laughs> by talking about some news about another adaptation of Terry Pratchett's. And this time it's The Amazing Maurice which is going to be turned into an animated film. And this is one of the Discworld novels I have not read, but it's the 28th in the series. It was the first for children and it's been optioned. So I read the description of it and it sounds like something I would enjoy. I think a lot of people would enjoy as well. So the story follows Maurice, who's this streetwise cat. Uh, Maurice has this money-making scam. And finds, I like that it's described, this, this poor kid in the book is described <laughs> as a dumb looking kid who plays the pipe. <laughs> so that is a, poor kid. Um, so Maurice finds this kid who plays a pipe and has his own horde of rats who are literate. And then uh, Maurice and the rodents take this town bad blints and discover something really bad waiting in the cellars. So... It's like a play on the Pied Piper of Hamlin. And to be honest, it hasn't really come across my path, not like even the title of this book. So it was all new to me, um, probably because I focus so heavily on the Witches of Lanker books and on anything with Susan Stohelet in it that this one completely slipped my notice. But it sounds absolutely delightful. 
And the person who's working on the character design for this is the same person who worked on character design for Ratatouille, which I love Mm -hmm. so much. I love that story. Um, And also Brave. So I'm hoping for some sneak peeks eventually at some of the character design for this one. Um, Especially since it sounds like such a great fit for that character designer. And also the director, uh, the name of the director is not uh, familiar to me, but Toby Genkel, in case it's it's uh, recognizable to anybody else. Toby Genkel worked on something called Oops, Noah is Gone. Um, but yeah, I kind of like that because I don't have uh, emotional attachment to this story. I can kind of just be delighted and interested in seeing what they end up doing with this. And I'm really interested in seeing how a Terry Pratchett book will be translated in animated format um, because I love animation of all types. And I think that because of his sense of humor and because of the way some of the characters are written just across the board in his books, I think that it's going to do really well. That's my prediction. Do you have yeah. any feelings about this? I I was I was reading this description because, as you know, I've only read like two of the Discworld yeah. books at this point. Um, although very much enjoying them, I did buy my nephew's one of I found in a used bookstore one of his other books for children. Although it was not this one, and I was reading this description, and I was like, "All right, so this is Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim." Ah. Plus Puss in Boots, plus the Pied Piper. Like, it's it sort of feels like very classic Pratchett. Like, here are all of the things I'm going to mash up. Um, which does sound like a really fun plot, certainly. And I am curious. I am very curious. I also loved Ratatouille and I loved Brave. So mm-hmm. that's promising to me. Otherwise, I am very, like, question mark? Who knows? Uh, yeah. Apparently, uh, Terry Rossio is the screenwriter and he worked on... He? She? Actually does not say that person's gender. Um, anyway, yeah. worked on Shrek, Aladdin, and Pirates of the Caribbean. So that's a pretty high-profile roster. Yeah. of things to have worked on so it seems very promising to me but i i kind of love also that this is coming not from disney or pixar or you know any of the usual suspects this is a german-based uh film production company uh, and also an irish company so joining forces (laughs) to do this i i'm very i'm very curious is the end of that story well we're going to see what happens with this um not this year or next, no. but <laughs> we'll just wait. We'll in, just be here waiting. It comes out in early 2022. So just uh, keep your eye out for it for the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of adaptations that we're excited about, I am losing my mind over <laughs> this Orphan Black news. So I don't know if y'all watched the TV show. If not, I highly recommend it. It had some rough seasons. But it was so good. And Tatiana Maslany, who was the lead actress, plays a ton of different characters. Like, is it spoilery? To I mean, everybody knows that show is about clones. She's freaking amazing. That's as much as I'll say about that. Mm -hmm. But it had a pretty good, it did have a pretty good finale. 
However, there has been lots of chatter about them doing more with the property, but none of it was going to involve her that I saw, except this has just been announced. Serial Box, who I've talked about before, actually, they're doing interesting fiction installments, um, some with existing sci-fi fantasy properties and some with new ones, uh, both in print and in audio. They are doing a new installment called Orphan Black, the next chapter. It's going to be audio. And Tatiana Maslany is going to voice the new episodes. It's going to be a 10-episode series available later this summer in both audio and text. And Malka Older is the showrunner. I, like, my face is doing the most ridiculous thing right now. I'm so, I just, like, flabbergastedly excited because I have talked about Malka Older on the show before. I'm pretty sure I love her science fiction. And the fact that she gets to show run for Orphan Black, which is a property I love, and Tachi Maslany is doing the voices, like, I cannot, I cannot. My expectations for this are so high. <laughs> it's probably dangerous. But Uh-oh. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I could tell that this is going to be <laughs> something you're going to The show note agenda is just like a string of exclamation marks. Which is fantastic. And I really thought it was interesting that they take like, because I didn't know that much about Serial Box. And I don't know if this is like what they do universally, but they're doing this writer's room setup to write these um yeah episodes it is what they do usually so right so they get a bunch of different writers on board so michelle baker who i've read and i don't know if i've talked about her on the show before but she's good Lindsay smith who i don't know heli kennedy don't know madeline ashby good and ec mm-hmm. myers also good are series writers so like they'll each do a different episode basically or maybe two i don't know how the numbers work exactly but they're all working out of the same show bible as it were Oh, this is great. Well, that sounds really exciting. And I, I think we've talked about this before that I am not caught up at all, as in I haven't watched a single episode of Orvin Black. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like knowing that it isn't just going to come to a sad end. I don't even know if it ends sadly or sad for me. It doesn't actually. Yeah. I mean, there, I will say that I thought that was one of the more satisfying season show finales that I've seen in a while, honestly. So there's no cliff cliffhanger in there. No, no. It came to, I mean, there were threads that I wish had been wrapped up differently, but on the whole, I really enjoyed the finale of Orphan Black. Yeah. And I could tell from like just the fan conversations that it did seem like, people just still wanted more. Because it was so good. Yeah, And and this is the thing that made me so nervous because I saw other talks about like, oh, a a spinoff TV series. But they were talking about not having Tatiana Maslany in it. And not everybody can pull off playing a bunch of different characters. I mean, very few actors can pull that off as you know orton black discovered and not to spoil anything but like really she she did it but there's not that many people who can and i just can't she's so iconic to me at this point in in my feelings about the property so it's very hard for me to get excited about an orphan black that doesn't involve her and this one does That's amazing. Uh, I am really, now I have to see it just to see how she pulls that off because I could not, I was having a very hard time imagining how that works. So yeah, yeah. I highly, (laughs) season one is awesome. Season one, season one and two are just so freaking good. Yeah. 
All right. Well, added to my watch list. Yay. <laughs> uh, my next one is mostly an update because I've talked about this before. Uh, but at the time, Harry Potter, the Harry Potter Vans collaboration was literally only weird doing this. So that was all the news I had. Now it's actually out. They've released the collection. And of course, I immediately scrambled to the page trying not to bring my wallet along <laughs> with me <laughs> because I, I have too much stuff. But uh, so I took a look and I mean, I had all sorts of skepticisms about how they would translate, you know, Harry Potter houses and things like that. And my thoughts on this is that I feel like based on like how much stuff there is and the color combos, I feel like these people who designed this collection were probably Slytherin <laughs> because all the Slytherin stuff is so cool. And I was like, should I, should I like change my answers <laughs> in Pottermore just to become a Slytherin so I can wear their house stuff because it's really cool. Like their shoes have like the snake texture on it, which is cool. The other ones kind of have like, check marks and things like that but the Slytherin ones seem a little bit extra yeah. compared to the rest I cannot disagree with you the Slytherin stuff I like I'm not particularly jazzed by the Ravenclaw stuff and yeah I will say that the Hogwarts like universally Hogwarts stuff is interesting to me I like the they did a crossed wands design with the four mm -hmm. house animals and I dig that there's a raglan tea and like there's also like a checkerboard tea that has some interesting different symbols from various like the the Deathly Hallows sort of theme to it um and there are mischief managed shoes so yes, I, I think that I, th I actually think the specific house stuff with the exception of the Slytherin are not that interesting but the other stuff I think is more interesting yeah, they have these. Uh, this is the one I'm eyeing, which I'm not allowing myself to buy. But they have these old school shoes that are a, a golden snitch theme. Oh, yeah. Those are my favorite. They're so cool. They're so cool. So They're pretty good. They're pretty good. So it wasn't a complete disappointment. No. Um, Ravenclaw stuff. If you're a Ravenclaw, check it out. But I, it, it didn't necessarily impress me that much either um but you should definitely go check out all of the stuff they have because there's some some really fun yeah uh design stuff here so yeah check out the harry potter vans collaboration and that's it for that one can I just register briefly that I'm still freaked out by the dark mark stuff? Like that people oh, will yeah. buy and wear dark mark things. I That's I like I true. get that it's not real, but I, even so, I'm just kind of like, really? I don't know. I if you okay, so, if you are listening and you have or would wear dark mark paraphernalia, would you please send me an email with why? I would yes. really love to hear why like i'm not judging I, i'm genuinely curious as to why because i don't it, that's a thing i just don't understand so that's true that's i never really thought about that maybe because i didn't even look at the dark mark stuff that much but yeah that's a little squicky isn't it i mean for me it is but i yeah i want to know i want to know i'm curious yeah, please let us know so I... email us sff yeah at bookriot.com um and i will just briefly wrap up our news section with some less excited feelings about a dune related announcement <laughs> yes. uh apparently so 
Denise, Dennis, Denise, whatever his name is, Villeneuve's, uh, he's the director of the new Dune movie, which is coming out next year, November 2020. And you've already heard, I mean, I did we I did a whole episode about that with Asma Zahanak Khan, so you can listen to my feelings about that there. <laughs> um, but apparently he's also going to executive produce, co-write, and direct a pilot for a series called Dune the Sisterhood about the Bene Gesserit, which I could not want less from him like he i i don't he has not been great with female characters in the past i really did enjoy he worked on arrival which i enjoyed but there's one woman in that film and some of his other films have not treated their characters of color or the female characters particularly well or in any interesting ways and I just, I like, I could not be less interested in this from from him. I, I'm super interested in a Bene Gesserit TV show, but not from this person is how I will say that. Yeah, I think that there was a lot of initial excitement about this, and there probably still will be um, from people who are not necessarily tuned in on what he's done previously or don't even think about who is yeah. directing it or anything. But that does bring up a really good point. And now I am having the same feelings because I was one of those people who was initially like, this sounds like a great concept. I'm really excited about it. And then when I heard you talking about it, I was like, never mind. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, is there, are there any women involved? Like, I, not that I can tell so far. And I mean, yeah. I know it's early days, but I just don't trust him quite frankly, to do that well. And so um, I'm a little sad face about that announcement. Not going to lie. Yeah, it does feel a little bit funny, like especially nowadays that nobody would be like, well, this is all about a sisterhood. <laughs> so like, perhaps, uh, perhaps we should get some, should we get some women just, in here. Just maybe, I don't know, some femme folks, like perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. Hopefully somebody says something, somebody in his camp makes mention. Uh, but I don't know. I'm a little skeptical that'll happen too. So all right. Shall we talk about our punk picks? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So I was thinking about this and it just so happens that there is a punk subgenre I tend to read, I guess, mo more of than any of the others. And so my first pick is elf punk, which is something I never really thought about being elf punk until we were talking about this theme. So there's a definition. Uh, we actually have a post all about elf punk with some recommendations for the genre, including one of the titles I'll be talking about today. But a general definition of elf punk is it's um, a subgenre of urban fantasy where traditional mythological creatures like fairies and elves are transported planted from, you know, like rural folklore into modern urban settings, um, which I thought was a good, simple explanation for that. So for elf punk, I'm giving a sort of blanket recommendation for Holly Black's books. I know I talked about Holly Black recently. Uh, the Cruel Prince is not the book I'm actually recommending, though, for elf punk reads. Um, but with her books, there's a lot of melding of the modern world with the land of the Fae. So if you've read The Cruel Prince, you'll have sort of seen it there with the story beginning in, I think, a suburb. 
Uh, but while there are trips to the world of mortals in the Folk of the Air series, it mostly takes place around the fairy court. And I think that there are definitely some younger millennials out there who were angsty high schoolers um, who read Tithe by Holly Black. <laughs> I'm just going to raising my hand over here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and Tithe is a book that will you'll see on a lot of like whenever you look up elf punk, you'll see that book more often than not listed because it fits the description so well. So it is an urban fantasy. It takes place in New York. And it brings elves into that world. And the story follows Kay, who's the daughter of this single rocker mom. They lead really unstable lives. And an incident between Kay's mom and her mom's lover sends them packing to her grandmother's place. And then Kay reunites with her friends. And she also starts to remember these imaginary friends who used to keep her company at her grandmother's. And then Kay begins to suspect that her friends were an imaginary Odd things start to happen when she fantasizes, and then this stranger from another place arrives in her life. And this chance meeting with the elf Royven lands her in the middle of a battle between fairy kingdoms. So I think that if you read Tithe now, it would probably feel a little bit dated in terms of some of the references, which I found actually, I was cool with the references because I was that kid as well. And I remember some of the things like Kay is really interested in, like she's listening to Hole in some of the scenes yes. and things like that. Um, but I think that it also feels dated in terms of like how the characters of color and the queer characters are represented on the page. Uh, reading it now, it felt a little bit squicky to me. So my recommendation for starting out with Holly Black's elf punk books is The Darkest Part of the Forest, which is a standalone novel. So even better if you're just testing out the waters. Um, and it was also published in 2015, whereas Tithe was published in 2004. So it feels a little fresher, I guess. Uh, so The Dark Forest, uh, The Dark, The Darkest Part of the Forest is about Hazel and Ben, who are sister and brother and a boy with horns in a glass coffin in the forest. So they live in a town that sounds like any other suburb, but the residents live alongside elves and fairies and changelings and the like. And the kids grow up, you know, like doing the half singing, the chants that might summon danger or some creature and daring each other to tempt fate in the forest. And the horn boy is just this known presence uh, he's part of the town lore. He's kind of like a piece of furniture for partying kids as well. Uh, because it's just like, it's just part of their life and part of their town. Um, and they recognize that they're kind of a weird town in that way, but it's just their daily life. Um, so Hazel and Ben kind of grow up thinking of this horn boy as their prince and they're his protectors. Uh, Hazel thinks of herself as sort of a knight and Ben is the bard because Ben can play instruments really well. He has these kind of magical abilities to play instruments. And these abilities take them even farther. And Hazel has all sorts of thoughts about where they're going in life and what they should do in terms of their interactions with the fairy creatures and the elves um, because of his abilities and because of her desire to be a knight. Um, so the two end up being drawn into the world of fairy because the horned boy is one day found missing from his glass coffin. 
and they go out looking for him. And I think Tithe and the darkest part of the forest both have some crossover with the Folk of the Air series as well. So if you're enjoying uh, Holly Black's most recent series and you're interested in reading more kind of related to that world, they're not quite the same as The Cruel Prince. They're a lot more grounded in urban fantasy and the crossover is kind of subtle. But I always think it's cool when authors make the worlds they create bigger and bigger across series and books and over their careers. So... Uh, if you are looking for a starting place for elf punk, you should definitely check out The Darkest Part of the Forest by Holly Black. And then you can also look into, of course, Tithe um, and her other works. I love that. I, I was, I was listening to you was thinking that I have read a bunch of elf punk that I haven't thought of as elf punk before. (laughs) So that's a good one. That's a good one. I like it. Thank you. Uh, So let's see. My first one is my current favorite of these, you know, punk emerging punk subgenres of sci-fi fantasy. And it is solar punk. It's, I just love it. I love that this exists. I love how sort of new it is, at least to um, American fiction. It's starting to get more attention here. Becky Chambers recently in announced, for example, that she's working on a series of novellas uh, that are in the solar punk genre for Tor.com. But it's really much more international. And the definition of solar punk is that it is ecologically focused science fiction that is optimistic. And so this is not the same as like climate fiction, for example, or maybe even I've seen green punk and eco punk tossed around. But the thing that makes a solar punk book solar punk is both the focus on uh, green sustainable technologies and that it's optimistic. So there's no doom and gloom here, which is kind of lovely mm-hmm. considering how much doom and gloom is out there in the genre as a whole. And it's very refreshing, I think, to have a little change of pace there. And so the collection that I'm recommending, Glass and Gardens, is it's a really interesting collection. And there is such range in terms of how each of these authors is approaching the premise. So one of them is a murder mystery set in like a renewable power plant where, you know, somebody has died in this really grisly way. And this inspector is brought in to try to figure out who done it. And it's like a locked power plant mystery. (laughs) And then... I've never heard of the light. Right? It's really great. (laughs) And then another one um, is set in space. And then there's one about, like, a guerrilla art installation in Milan. And there's one where it's, like, a school competition. And then there's another short story that takes place on, like, a crocodile ranch in malaysia and there's one on a you know desert planet and they're just there's such different approaches and so many different settings and ideas and concepts and but they're all sort of united by this really lovely sense that we can learn from our mistakes we can develop sustainable renewable technologies And we can move forward. Like, there's ways to move forward. And those ways to move forward are not struggle-free. Like, there's always going to be struggles. But it doesn't have to be the same struggles that we've been going through. 
And I, I mean, I probably considering the current political climate and then what's going on in terms of environmentalism and, you know, the struggles that we're having in getting companies to get on board with these things and governments to get on board with these things. And like, there's only so much recycling I can do. Like I can give up straws and I can recycle, but like, I can't change much more than that without the help of, you know, bigger institutions and systems. And so it's really lovely to see people thinking seriously about like what would, what would that look like like what what would those technologies look like and it's so playful and interesting in some of these stories and then others are much more serious but all do move in this generally upbeat direction and so i just i just am obsessed with it i want more i'm 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 always looking for more so if you come across some please do let me know but i feel like this collection is a really good introduction into all of the different possibilities uh starting out and and it's it was easy enough to get a hold of it's by a small press it's by world weaver press but it's available digitally and yeah, I just can't recommend it highly enough. And I've been keeping an eye out for some of these contributors also because they come from all over the world and all different backgrounds and they're really interesting and I want to hear more from a lot of them. So again, that's Glass and Gardens. Uh, the subtitle is Solar Punk Summers, edited by Serena Ulibari. That sounds wonderful. I read a very doom and gloom article about climate, Ugh. so I feel like I need some of that in my life <laughs> you right do, now. You do. You do. <laughs> I deserve it. That's okay. Right. <laughs> uh, my last pick is Silk Punk, um, yes. which I have not read as much of, and I took this as my opportunity to sort of introduce myself to it, even though I knew um, mostly what it was. So I took this definition directly from Ken Liu, who is kind of like the person around steam, uh, silk punk. And so Ken Liu says, silk punk's a blend of science fiction and fantasy, and it takes steampunk as an inspiration, um, but it draws its inspiration from classical East Asian antiquity. Uh, so if you want to read Ken Liu's silk punk novel which i knew i definitely was not going to be able to finish yes. by the time we recorded it's a brick it's long yeah it's the grace of king so uh you should definitely check that out if you want something a little bit bulkier but my recommendation is a ken Liu translated word uh work and it's the snow of jin yang by zeng ran translated by ken Liu and carmen yilingan uh, and the great thing about this example is that you can read it for free online and you can listen to it read aloud on Clark's World. So I just thought that was great. Uh, you don't even need to go out and buy a book if you just want to introduce yourself to this subgenre. And we'll leave a link in the show notes uh, to that. So I guess you would call this a novelette. I think I, I was confused about novelette from some other awards uh, category, <laughs> but this one is shorter than a novella and longer than a short story. So it's still, it's a quick read. You can get through it. And it's an alternate history set in the state of Han in the 10th century CE. And it's happening in the middle of a war between states. So the state of Han is not doing too great. And a group of scholars and a general are planning treason because they're desperate to save their the people of Han, who nobody else seems to be thinking about. 
And integral to their plan is getting a certain prince to either cooperate or be disposed of. And in order to get to him, they need to enlist the help of this outcast scholar who's living in the state's red light district. Uh, so throughout the story, there are signs of advanced technology that fit this silk punk descriptor. And they're also kind of humorous instances of this technology. Like, for instance, they have lightsabers. <laughs> what? And they have Ray-Bans. <laughs> oh my gosh, amazing. <laughs> because this... This flashy new technology, like when they're talking about Ray-Bans, they're talking about, oh, yeah, well, they banish the rays of the sun, Ray-Bans. Uh, <laughs> I just laughed out loud about that. I did not expect as much humor as there was in this uh, book. It kind of had like I was imagining it as kind of a cartoon, which was kind of funny to think of. But the technology is also made from things like teak and jujube wood, which are materials that are commonly used in China. There's also these cool sort of steam-powered automobiles, and the prince is linked to these strange contraptions and advancements, and the fanciest of these developments is the internet, which the prince has created. Um, and the prince is the founder of the East City Institute, which almost seems like a sovereign territory within Han. And the scholars and the general conspire, and then the outcast scholar goes undercover and learns about this mysterious prince and the prince's secrets. And it becomes this sort of reimagining of the capture of Xinjiang and the unification of China. And it's also like a really imaginative look at how modern technology, you know, minus the lightsaber, which when are we getting those? <laughs> but like how modern technology might look if somebody tried to make it way back when, which if you're a fan of steampunk, I think that that sort of thing is just interesting to you and there are explanations for some for how some of these things work in the story which if you're a, a nerd like me is really enjoyable as well so it's just this really like meta sci-fi read with a twist as well uh so yeah again that was the snow of jinying by zeng ran translated by ken Liu and carmen yiling yan and that was for silk punk I do love silk punk. Mm -hmm. J.Y. Yang is also an amazing author of silk punk who I've talked about oh, yeah. many a time on this show. Um, <laughs> okay, so my second category is one that I didn't realize had been named and turned into a category until I was researching for this show, but I was immediately <laughs> like, I have read a ton of books that are this and I love it. And that is myth punk. Which was coined by author Catherine Valenti, who we have talked about more than once on this show. And the definition is a brand of speculative fiction which starts in folklore and myth and adds elements of postmodern fantastic techniques. So that is super interesting. I do read a lot of sort of reimaginings of folklore and myth. And I knew when I read this description exactly what they were talking about, especially, you know, Catherine Valenti, like when you think about 
palimpsest or you know any number Mm -hmm. of her works like that's obviously what she's doing and it's so interesting and it just so happens that one of the books i just had started when i was researching for this show fit perfectly in here it's unraveling by karen lord who i have talked about on the show before this was one of my most anticipated reads of 2019 here to tell you lives (laughs) up to my expectations and then some it's so interesting and unique it is a standalone fantasy novel, although I will say that it has a lovely little connection to Redemption in Indigo, which is one of my favorites of her books. But you don't have to have read it. You don't need to know anything about that book to appreciate this one. And it is a little bit murdery, just a heads up, but nothing too graphic in terms of violence. The main character, Miranda, is a forensic therapist in this city that is just called like the city with a capital C. And she has just finished up a really grueling court case uh, about a serial killer who has been put behind bars. But it turns out that while the killer has been arrested, the killer's motive for committing the murders involved another person, potentially a supernatural person. And she finds this out when she has a near-death experience that, like, throws her into a sort of imagined realm that's outside of time and maybe exists only entirely in her mind and is inhabited by these two brothers, Chance and the Trickster, who have an interest in solving this crime. So there's a lot going on here, right? Like most of it takes place in this sort of in-between space that's her mind, but not just her mind. And there's labyrinths and different entities and angels and old goddesses and, you know, the brothers who are sort of mortal and sort of not. And she's, it's a whodunit in that she's trying to solve the bigger story of this, these murders. But she doesn't have, she doesn't think she has all the information. And so the brothers have to sort of pull it all together and out of her. And there were moments where I was like, are we in real time or myth time? Like, I'm not sure. And it kind of, that was the kind of feeling of the whole book is it's very shadowy and slippery and surreal. And there's this also subplot going through it in that a lot of the murder victims were disenfranchised uh, persons in the city there. If you are a Freeman, uh, capital F, you have like rights and, you know, can rent property and own property and do all of these things in the city. If you don't have Freeman status, you are much more limited in the jobs you can have and the resources that are available to you and all of those things. And so there is a sub plot slash thread here that is about that and how Miranda feels about that and is interacting with that political structure. But it's very, it's really seamlessly interwoven. It's really interesting the way it unfolds alongside this bigger sort of murder mystery case. And then there's all this mythology stuff popping in and out of it. And, you know, it it's just such a fascinating read. It's not really like anything else that I've read. Like there are moments where I was like, oh, this is, I think American Gods fans would love this part. Or, you know, there were moments where I was like, oh yes, this is very, like I think Catherine Valenti fans would like this bit. But really Karen Lord is doing her own thing 
in such an interesting way. And it just isn't like anything else. And I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was so cool and just different and so entrancing. I just fell hard for it. And I think the thing that I would say makes it like when I think about what punk means to me, it means that you are in some way disrupting a form that is otherwise very like popularly used. And so, and, and myth, mythology, right, is obviously a part of this. But then what makes it punk, what makes this one myth punk to me is that because she's bringing it into the modern world, but even then it's a secondary world. It's not our world. It has commonalities, but it's not our world. And doing something different yet again with that, she's she's just taking it and tweaking it in so many interesting ways. That's what I think makes this myth punk. So again, that's Unraveling by Karen Lord. And that's our show. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. And of course, as always, you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. Um, and we love to hear from you as well. You can find us online. As always, I'm on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you, Jen? You can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, I-R-L, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. So that's it. And go forth and punk. (laughs) 